What's better than Anchor's podcast creation tools? Nothing. Mankind has always searched for evidence of God's perfection, and we found it. Anchor is the easiest way to make a podcast. Anchor gives you everything you need in one place for free, which you can use straight from your phone or computer. The creation tools allow you to record and edit your podcast so it sounds great. They'll distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and the lesser of the podcast platforms like Stitcher. You can easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. I've made $5, and I've been doing this for three months. So, download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. This is the explicit language warning, but actually in this episode I don't think there really is any swearing, so that'll be nice. Another nice thing is I'm trying out some of the free music that Anchor gives you, so enjoy that. Yeah, he's like, oh, you guys got good banter and stuff, so it's pretty funny, and I was like, okay, thanks. So, Yet he hasn't invited me on his show yet. Hmm. Yeah, you don't have a shtick. My shtick is, yeah. is I read stories in a weird voice. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you got a shtick, Ben, like you... I'm the lovable sidekick. You're the lovable sidekick. Maybe if you like did everything in a high-pitched baby's voice or yeah. something fun like that, then it's like, hey, out of all the sidekicks, you got a really good angle, and then they bring you on to talk to you about it. Yeah, I'll pass. I'll pass. Fine. Ben! I like how you smiled. (laughs) Pretty excited about this, aren't you? Yeah, sure. Uh, We have started reading his his, his subtle knife. The subtle knife. Oh, there's the book. Yeah. It's just subtle knife. No, the. Where's the? Right there in the fancy script. Oh, for Christ's sake. All right, the subtle knife. The, the lamest title of the three books. Um, Wait, why is that lamer than the other two? I don't know, Subtle Knife? Eh. Yeah, okay, I agree. <laughs> it's kind of cheesy. Uh, yeah, um, I, I hadn't thought about it, but yeah, yeah. That's a little, you're, you're right. Out of all of them. Uh, yeah. well, any initial uh, thoughts or feelings before we dive into what we read? Well, we did the first five chapters. Well, that's what we agreed to do, was uh-huh, the first fine. five. Yeah, all right, fine. And my main... My main thought was uh, no bears. Not a single bear. No. Yeah, I was a little disheartened by that. Which uh, is, no, because there were all sorts of characters going in between worlds and mm-hmm. why not, but no bears. Yeah. A lot of witches. Me, my, uh, my initial thoughts were Doctor Who, because uh, they are jumping back and forth between different uh, like, uh, dimensions, universe, yeah. whatever you want to say. Uh, Worlds. Very exciting. Uh they, it's it's almost like watching an episode of Rick and Morty where they go to like a dimension where everyone's got like butts for a face. <laughs> it's kind of what's going on with this. Well, yeah, there's the one. So it takes place in three worlds so far. Mm, the one the that tropical we were, island world being yeah. the most mysterious. Yeah. So there's the world that we knew from the first book, and then mm-hmm. our world. But mm-hmm. then there's this like world in between that they're spending some time in, where everyone's scared of cats. Oh, they're scared of cats. See, I, I didn't catch that part. Didn't you, the scene where the children are all throwing stones at the cat, and then Will saved the cat? Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I skimmed over that, apparently, or just forgot about it. Well, then let's dive in. Um, I'll just do a quick little rundown of chapter one. We'll try this format. Okay. <laughs> See how this goes. Sure, Without good. going into every little detail. You got a guy named Will Perry. He's got a, 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 a loony bin crazy mom. He sure does. He's taking her to drop her off. Uh, where is he dropping off? That part I kind of didn't. It's uh, his Cooper. old piano teacher's house. Miss is Cooper. that what it is? Yeah. Okay. Did, I didn't catch that. I was like, is this like a neighbor? Who is he dropping yeah, this off to? Yeah, it's a neighbor, basically, but also old piano teacher. But these are unimportant details. Or no, something. they're unimportant. I was like, is he at a hospital? And why? I don't know. Why is he being so weirdly informal? But hey, just take care of her. She doesn't eat much and stuff. And I'm like, where is he dropping her off? Uh, drops off his mom. Goes back home to take a nap. They allude to his past about how his mom is being hunted by spies and stuff. Uh, bad guys that only she can see, which makes you wonder if she's uh, kind of a crazy person. She's clearly kind of a crazy person, but there are also men after them. Yeah, because he goes back home and he's looking for a green briefcase or bag. Yeah. How leather satchel. Yeah, some. And then uh, he winds up taking a nap. 
And uh, he can't find the green leather satchel until he wakes up from his nap and magically knows where it is. And also that there's men in the house. Yeah. Trying to uh, sneak around and get him. He kills a man. Murdered him. Murdered him. He's a murderer. Because there was a man at the top of the stairs. He knocked him down and the guy bonked his head and died. Yep. So, uh... I mean, the guy fell over the cat. He tripped over the house cat. Yeah, there was a cat in the way. It was kind of like the old, uh, like on the playground where your friend gets down on his hands and knees behind exactly. you and somebody pushes I think you. the cat knew what it was doing. <laughs> it was described in the book as the cat was uh, sidling up for some scritches, but I think the cat was trying to murder the man. Yeah, I think the cat knew exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Uh, and then he, as he's running and trying to escape, uh, winds up seeing a portal because there's a cat, a neighborhood cat that's playing with something invisible and disappears through it. Then he goes through the portal. So that's kind of chapter one. Yeah, and I think Will Perry here is seems to be the main character from our world. Yep, so that's kind of... So there, that's, and we that's also know movie. Yeah, get into the details. And we also know that Will Perry's dad is absent, has not been in Will's life, and he's yeah. an explorer, which is kind of parallel with, I think, Lord Azrael in Lyra's world. Yeah, so he's got a similar background yeah. to uh, Lyra, but um, he's not so uh, childish, because <laughs> he's had to sort of deal with a mom and everything. He's, he's familiar with the streets, I think. Yeah, he and knows the streets. He knows how to fend for himself. And it's clear the world, our world, is taking place around the turn of the 20th century. Yeah, because there are cell phones and cars, or we find out later. Yeah. Um, Wait, 21st century? Which century is that? <laughs> around the year 2000. <laughs> Here you go, 21st century. Yeah. Um, he... Well, I so I got confused on when they were in the grocery store flashback, yeah. uh, and like the mom's sort of talking about you know don't put anything in the cart unless no one sees us, and it's like this game of trying to like make sure that you're sneaky. Um, but it was like if you put something in the cart, it disappears. Or am I reading too much into that? I swear it was like magic was happening or something. I think that was just his mom's schizophrenia. This okay. was happening when Will was I think seven years old. Yeah, and this is younger. when it became clear to Will that his mom had mental health issues. Got it. And they um, play the fun little game where yeah. But, like, training him, too. That was the kind of weird part. Yeah. Um. Oh, you okay? <coughs> yeah. Don't be afraid to just, you know. We can pause the show if you need to. I think I'm coughing a lot because I'm trying not to breathe. <laughs> like last time? <laughs> yeah, I don't want to pick up. So. Yeah, these uh, microphones aren't the, what are they, blue snowballs? They're supposed to not have this problem. I know. We need the breathing screens. But they're supposed to have them built in. So apparently this, well, that's what you get for going to Micro Center. To get your microphones. Well, I guess uh, they won't be a sponsor of the show. No, they won't. And also, the guy who helped me, if I knew his name, I would call him out. Because I said, I want to get really nice microphones. And I saw some that were really nice. And he goes, you're going to want these blue snowballs. And I said, they are cheaper than these other ones. He goes, yeah, but you're going to want these blue snowballs. And no matter what I said, he's like, I hear you, but dude, you're going to want these blue snowballs. And he just wouldn't drop it. And I'm like, how do you know? And he goes, oh, I've got my own uh, Twitch stream. <laughs> well, <laughs> he was playing right video then. games and yeah then I was like oh, okay and he also is the one that talked me into getting this microphone stand okay. where if I extend it any further than it is right now it just slowly starts to droop down no matter well, how do you tight not have I, the thing tightened I tighten it like crazy Ben okay but it just slowly goes down so the whole time I'm talking my head's getting closer and closer to the table trying to keep up with that mic sure so anyways it sounds like they had a lot of extra blue snowball mics and stuff I think that's what's going on yeah, yeah they're trying to clear out their stock and I got suckered into it but yeah he goes oh yeah you don't worry about breathing into it and the whole works but we learned that lesson so when he's escaping, there's a cat pawing at nothing. Moxie. Oh, no, it looks like Moxie. It's like a Moxie cat. is his It cat. looks like his cat, or yeah. it's acting like it. It makes him homesick, even though he just left the home. Um, cat's pawing at nothing. Cat disappears. He walks around and sees that there's this portal. He goes through it into a beautiful tropical island, Mediterranean Caribbean uh, environment, yeah. where there's nobody there. All the houses yeah. are empty, and it looks like he was just lived in recently. Yeah, and there's, like, unexpired milk in the fridge. So people yeah. are clearly recently there, but it's this beautiful seaside village, it sounds yep. like, that's just completely deserted. Except yeah. except for one person. Lyra leaps out at him yeah. like a feral cat. Yep. <laughs> Scratching at his eyes. And he punches her right in the face, doesn't he? Oh, does he? <laughs> yeah, she's got a bruise in her face. Oh, he... yeah, that's right. That's right. They do reference the bruise later, but yeah. I... Um, yeah, lot, that's pretty much it. That's how the chapter ends. That uh, Oh, and then she... Well, it doesn't end that way. She winds up... Is it in this chapter? She winds up um, referring to the athelometer. 
How do you pronounce it? Oh, well, it's alethiometer. Alethiometer. Okay. Yeah. But I, she I learned that it. from the trailer, the HBO trailer. Oh. They said it, and like, oh, yeah, that makes sense. There you go. That's, that's how you say that word. They, uh, she refers to it, I don't know if it's in this chapter or later, so hopefully not getting confused, but she uh, refers to it saying, can I trust this guy? And its response is, he's a murderer. And she says, oh, cool, good. Good. That's how she knows she can trust him. Exactly. Yeah, I, murder <laughs> might come in handy. Not like, oh, is he an accidental murderer, yeah. or like a murderer with a heart of gold? But no, he's like, he's a murderer. She's like, oh, sweet, this is who I want to be with. Well, that, does that uh, a callback to the first book when she was making up the story about her dad? And she said, yeah, he's a murderer. She just has an affinity for murder. Maybe she I does. Think. She romanticizes him. Yeah. Like, she would be one of those people that loves Ted Bundy and thinks he's, like, super sexy and really cool. Yeah, um, I think so. Yeah, which also plays into, is that in the next chapter? Uh, she winds up meeting another pervert, <laughs> which I thought was In the museum? In yeah, the that's museum. a couple chapters forward. Yeah, um, okay, we'll save that, but that was, I just started laughing. I'm like, what's with her and perverts? So he's trying to roll up on her. Yeah, so, uh, so yeah, that was chapter one, I think. Mm-hmm. Summed up, should we, uh, chapter two quickly? Yeah, I can just give you a little breakdown. Chapter um, two is all about the witches. Yeah, I wrote down a Serafina story. Um... We learned that there was a pack of witches that were on Mrs. Coulter's side, like, working with her. Yeah. <clears throat> Which we kind of knew from the first book. They said different witch factions had different... Yeah, th- It's did. not a... Uh... They were really pointing it out in this chapter, though, as if it was, like, a shocking revelation. I'm like, didn't they kind of say that already? Like, I mean, not that it was a shocking I think they revelation. were just fleshing out the concept that witches aren't a homogenous group. Witches can be jerks. They sure. Have, well, they just have uh, differing alliances. Sometimes they're, like, priorities. racist and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're not we're not talking about Bob Honey who just do stuff anymore. It's no, not necessarily not. racist. After coming off of Bob Honey, it was both refreshing to read this and also like, oh, I hope our next episode isn't boring. <laughs> yeah, I, I enjoy this book much more than Bob Honey, but this discussion, I don't know. It's that uh, we don't have all scene. the hate in here and all the no. uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I think also working against us is hmm. we both seem to be in a better better state mentally than we might have been last week when we talked. That's true. Uh, should, oh, do you have anything you want to talk about in your week? We didn't go over that. No. no, I mean, yeah, I mean, I just had a lovely weekend out of town up north at the uh, so the family place on the lake. So there that, that was nice. the weather was spectacular. <laughs> I like how you closed I your eyes to say the weather. Uh, well, because like, I'm just remembering it. Yeah, yeah, I was back there. The weather was great. Just good. What company. did you do? Did you water water ski, Ben? No, it was more of a a, a relaxing weekend than a active weekend. So there was oh. a boat involved, but the that was just riding around on the boat, having a beverage or two. Oh, okay. Sit by the fire at night. Do and some grilling. It. Some drilling? Grilling. Okay. Grilling some meats. <laughs> I thought your family is like, it's a weekend we go up north. We, we, we really were there to f- do fracking, but we also just like to take a little time for ourselves and hang out. One the of lake. these years, we're going to find oil. I'm convinced <laughs> exactly. of it. Um, How about you? How was your week, Glenn? Uh, hung out with the kids. Didn't do a whole lot. Kids don't leave the house very often. I try to get them out of the house. So it's like... I argue with them to go shopping with me just so I can say they got out of the house at some point. Sounds uh, like they need hobbies. Yeah, they do. Uh, it's summer break, and this is the first summer they've ever had where they haven't had to do something, like go to horse camp or punching camp or whatever kind of camps that they you know, get signed up for. And um, so they're really taking advantage of it. My oldest daughter does have this weird summer gym thing going on through her school. So she does have to get out of the house and track that she's, like, biking for an hour or running for an hour. So she's been doing that, so it's mm-hmm. cute. That's she's good. biking all over the place, and I keep track of her on my phone, make sure she doesn't get, you know, stolen. Yeah. I biked here tonight. I can relate to that. Yeah, Biking's you want me to track you to make sure you get home okay? I'm fine. I can okay. fend for myself. Right. <laughs> I'm like Will Perry. I can murder if I have to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Throw a cat behind someone and push him real fast. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's about it. Okay. Nothing, nothing else to say. I've got a girlfriend. That's none of your business. And uh, saw her, and then that's uh, pretty much it. All right. Well, that was a good catch up. So Serafina, <laughs> that was a very good catch up. She was. Uh, that was a nice little moment we just yeah. had right there. Anyways, Serafina's looking for a witch. Whose yeah. Demon flew out of nowhere to say go help her. So she goes to a boat. Is it a boat? Where yeah, Mrs. Coulter's Mrs. crew Coulter's is on boat. a boat. They've. They're holding a witch hostage to get some information out of her. Yeah. And again, this gets back to this. Uh, I'm not the one who's familiar with YA literature like you are, but mm. there are some brutal scenes in here. Some torture. They're torturing that witch. Yeah. And, and also talked a lot about how we can torture you more. <laughs> yeah. That, that part kind of impressed me. Like, they've already been torturing her, but then they're like, 
we could break your fingers. And the witch is like, no, don't do it. Yeah, they talked about her <laughs> legs being twisted and broken. Yeah. And then they didn't just threaten to break her fingers. Mrs. Coulter broke two of oh, her fingers. Oh, they break the fingers? I like, yeah. didn't catch Mrs. that. Mrs. Coulter did that with her bare hands. She just snapped two of her fingers. Oh, she's an angry lady. Well, she had a kid out of wedlock. and Were, were there she got a lot of resentment intense torture scenes in Harry Potter at all when you read those? No, uh, I do remember there being one scene where I forget who. That's just a hodgepodge of characters I don't care about. But one of them was like suspended over a table and... And uh, the Baldemort was making her be in pain with his magic wand. That was the extent of his torturing okay. her. So she just screamed a lot. But there was yeah, no actual like longer. broken legs and the person like Voldemort snapping fingers yeah. off and, and stuff. And then it came to the point where Serafina stabbed this witch in the heart to put her out of her misery. Get her out of her misery. And also she was invisible the whole time. So that's a little yeah. something to get into. But uh, so she kills her out of pity. Uh, then she goes back to Troll Sun to talk to Dr. Lassinulus. Lassinalus, Dr. He's L. The, the console. Yeah. Right. Says that there's an army of zombies coming. Yeah. And then uh, she goes back to Thorold and talks to Lord Asriel's servant, who's been battling cliff gas by himself. Yeah. And uh, says that uh, Asriel hates the church, wants to destroy God. Uh, and anything you want to say about this chapter? Well, that, I think, I touched on this a few times when we were talking about the first book, that my understanding was uh, religious folks weren't necessarily pleased with this trilogy. And I mm-hmm. think... We're starting to find out why here in this, this chapter because that, yeah. they, um, uh, one of the quotes that I wrote down was, every church is the same. Control, destroy, obliterate mm. every good feeling. That's what, <laughs> that's what the witch queen said. Yeah, um, and yeah, really. it becomes clear that I guess Lord Azriel's mission is to uh, basically destroy God. <laughs> so, <laughs> I know. Uh, I know, that's like such a conclusion to go to. Um I was kind of wondering, because, like, the last book, he was set out to, like, I got to get rid of this dust. I'm going to kill yeah. the dust. I yeah. want to destroy it. And I'm like, why? And so here, you kind of get a little bit of a reasoning behind why he's just random. It's like saying, like, there's a cloud of gnats over there, and I want to get them. And it's like, why? It's going to be really hard. But uh, so, no, now he just wants to kill God, <laughs> which I think is amazing. So that's, I think, <laughs> that's the story arc for Lord Azrael. Is yeah, we finally him, found his motivation. Him trying to kill God. Yeah, he really doesn't like the church and uh, wants to kill God. And neither do the witches, apparently. They don't like the human church because they have their own God. Um, but yeah, they don't like the magisterium and the human God, who's mm-hmm. called the authority, I guess, in that God, um, God. But on the boat, you had the magisterium, you had carnals and clerics. You had one of them having their own alethiometer? Alethiometer. Alethiometer. I'm never going to get that. I'm just calling it the golden compass, and we're done. Okay. They got their own golden compass, Ben, and they have to use books and stuff to read it, and they're trying to find out more about Lyra. Well, and they have the only other alethiometer yeah. in existence. All the other ones, the magisterium has uh, confiscated and destroyed. So Lyra yeah. has one, and then they've got this other one where the guy is struggling to read it with his book. Right, and they're just specifically asking about her. They're really focused on that, and that's the reason why they're torturing the witch to find out what this, um, like, what the... The prophecy? The prophecy, that's the word I'm looking for, yeah. what, like, what that's about. Which is weird, because you think that they would already kind of know the prophecy. I mean, isn't it kind of like open knowledge, like this prophecy's out there? Yeah, I guess it's just open knowledge amongst the witches. The witches, I guess, and, and all right. haven't shared that with the humans. Uh, they say they all knew Lyra's name... Oh, knew the name of her destiny, which is because like this witch that's being tortured is being really vague. Yeah. So they're saying that uh, uh, that they know the name of her destiny, and also that uh, she is the one who came before, and you have hated and feared her ever since. So pretty confusing. Yeah, and that wasn't made clear yet, but apparently there's going to be a different name that she's going to be going by at some point. I think because she no. started her last name is what, Lyra Bellicor, but mm-hmm. then she. Per the bear, it's called Lyra Sil- Silvertongue now. Uh, but now the witches are saying that she's going to... Have a whole new name. Per the prophecy, yeah. Uh, the dying witch calls on her god to take her. That was a weird moment. Because doesn't the god like show up and everyone's like, uh... Well, that's Seraphina. To take her away. Was it Seraphina? Oh, I thought Seraphina they were literally calling the witch god. calling for the god. And Seraphina then stabbed her in the heart to put her out of misery. And then she said she smiled because like the god, when, you, when the witches meet their... What was oh. the god called? Yaka Yaka or something? I don't remember. No, I don't have any idea. Um, but yeah, so she, the wish I was being tortured was in such a state where I think she was hallucinating because of the pain and whatnot and mm-hmm. thought that Seraphina was the god. And oh, that's where I got symbolic. confused as I was reading it. Okay, because I thought like her god literally came and it was like this big magical moment. But well, okay, but then she just Seraf- saw Seraphina. Seraphina had made herself 
invisible too. And not yeah. true invisibility, but she her spell apparently was that <laughs> it's just she, pretty good at making her just not noticeable. Yeah, she makes herself <laughs> really boring apparently. And people yep. will like look at her without noticing her, but then they notice her when she stabs a witch in the heart. Right. Uh, but up until then they would literally walk around her not even knowing she was there and stuff, and I thought that was pretty funny. Um Yeah. And by the way, not a single fly in my house today. Yambi Aka. No, no flies. <laughs> That's your response is the name of the God. Yeah. No flies, Ben. I, uh, I think I finally, uh, I'll have to show you my kitchen. So that was the, the jars that smells like corpses. That's what took care of it. Did you have jars sitting outside that? Yeah, that didn't help anything. That oh. just brought more. Like every fly that ever entered the neighborhood would come straight from my place and hang okay. out around the jars that smelled like corpses. Okay. So I moved those out of the way. That's... and uh, But no, I taped off my entire kitchen area. That's where they're coming from. Systematically, I hung up draperies over every door. So that way I would know that if there's no flies in one room but a ton in the other, they're coming from that room. They're coming from the kitchen, Ben. Mm-hmm. So I began taping off every crack I could find around the floors yeah. and windows and stuff. No flies today, Ben. I think I may have solved my, uh, the finally the fly mystery may be done. Okay. Well, first of all, well done on the problem-solving skills. I Thank appreciate you. that. Uh, but now you just have tape everywhere? Yeah, now i got to figure out a way to make it not look like tape. Okay. Like, I'm going to have to go buy things and put molding down, or I don't know what i got to do to make Cock. it look like... Uh, I did cock around the windows. Okay. Yeah, that's just, disturbing looking. I just wanted to say that. Because yeah, no, <laughs> I'm a child. <laughs> but, I uh, yeah. Anyways, Yaldabo, what's the name? Yambeaka. Yambeaka. And that is their witch god. That's the witch god. Afterwards, uh, Serafina goes back to Trollsun to talk to Dr. Lancilius. Uh, and he says that the Magisterium is uh, creating an uh, army of zombies. Yeah. Which we they were alluded to earlier, but I didn't realize they were manufacturing them. So this is going to be sort of like uh, the winter is coming. The army of zombies are going to be showing up soon. I think so. That's what it seems like. There's a, there's a big battle brewing. What's a cliff ghast? I forgot. They're just, aren't they just scary flying creatures? That... Are they creatures or people? I didn't know. I think they're creatures. Because nah, right. they fly around and... Because didn't a bunch of cliff ghasts attack Lee Scoresby's balloon in the first book when they were... Yeah, and even then I was sort of like, are they like goblins or... Uh, so it's kind of sad that this servant is by himself having to try to get rid of like the rodents, basically. Yeah. <laughs> he's overrun by cliff gas and he's trying to keep the house clean. Uh, so yeah, that's when he says, says what's, what's Lord Azrael doing? And he hates God and he thinks the dust is God. So Seraphina goes back to her witch friends and Lee Scoresby uh, invites him to the witch's council meeting, which is apparently very impressive. Yeah. And then uh, Ruta Skidi, the queen of the Latvian witches, yeah, one-time lover of Lord Asriel, both yeah. beautiful and angry. Yes. <laughs> it's her thing. As angry as she is beautiful. Uh, so then the deal is that she's going to, uh, Seraphine's going to lead 21 witches plus Rita into the parallel universe. Yeah, into our world, right? Yeah, into our world, yeah. where they fly around. Which I think is weird because when you go into the parallel universe... As we found out with uh, Lyra, that the demons still exist. They're fine. Yeah. And I guess witches will still be able to fly. Like, there's no limits on... That like, seems to be the case. Our world doesn't have brooms that fly. But if they bring their flying brooms over to our world, they'd still work. Well, they're not brooms. They're branches. They use pine branches. Oh, my God. Fine. Well, <laughs> stickler for details. <laughs> this isn't Harry Potter, all right? They yeah. don't use brooms. Do they use brooms in Harry Potter? Yeah, they use Yeah, brooms. of course they do. Nimbus 2000. <laughs> That's what they call one of the brooms. Why are you serious? I'm not kidding. Okay. The Nimbus 2000. And the book was supposed to be written in the 90s or whatever. Like the story mm-hmm. takes place kind of in the 90s. So yeah. it's supposed to be like the 2000. And pretty cool. Very timely. It's uh, ageless. Um, chapter three. Lyra and Will are back in the show. Uh, and they're still in the dead world. Uh, a lot of fun differences of words. Like yeah. ambromagnetism is what she calls, uh, like what Will calls electricity. Yeah. Things like that. Uh, then they hear kids talking, and the kids uh, say that all the parents are pretty much gone because a fog rolled in one day, and all these specters were there that would kill the parents. But children are immune to the specters, apparently. Yeah, but then later I saw Or can't swear, even see them. Wasn't that their... I didn't think the children could even see them, but the... Yeah. Or but they the, apparently suck the souls from adults. 
Or just scoop them out. Like, you can look through their eyes and see the back of their head. Yeah. That kind of thing, uh, which is disgusting. But um, I couldn't... Uh, that part I was getting confused on because the parents act like the specters aren't there. That was a big thing. They would try to pretend like they're not there. So either they didn't see them or they did. I don't know what the deal is. But um, then the parents would wind up getting killed like crazy. And so that's the reason why the place is pretty much empty. Uh, and I guess kids are safe from them. Yeah, so the kids kind of like it when the specters come because the adults leave town, so the kids get to run around town unsupervised. Yeah, it seems I suppose. like. Yeah. And then they can throw stones to try and stone a cat to death because that's what they like to do in their free time. <laughs> I don't know because <laughs> yeah, they hate cats. Uh, well, the city's called, uh, well, how would you pronounce it? Sitagazi? I yeah, no I think that's how I would say it. All right. Uh, so, yeah, they ask where everyone is. The kids say the specters didn't come to your city, and there's a giant fog, and the city was full of specters. Uh, one of them, Angelica, says that when the specters arrive, they get to run about in the city as if the grown-ups are too occupied to care about otherwise. And they tell this horrifying story about how they eat the life out of the humans or the adults. Um, and this is what I wrote down. At first, they know what's... They know it's happening, and they're afraid. They cry and cry. Then they try to look away and pretend it isn't happening, but it is. That's the part I was getting confused about. And then it's too late, uh, and then no one's going to go near, near them, and then they're on their own. That's what like one of the kids was saying. I'm yeah. like, this is confusing. Uh, they get pale. They stop moving. They're still alive, but it's like they've been eaten from the inside. You look in their eyes, see the back of their heads. Ain't nothing there. And then the kids want to go get ice cream after they told that story. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, they're... They're kids. Yeah, I guess. Lyra's forced to wear men's trousers. That's a problem. And That is a problem. She has no concept of denim. <laughs> yeah, um, it's like men's britches. Yeah. You can't ask a girl to wear men's britches. Yeah. So with the, the specters in that uh, the world in between ours and Lyra's, mm-hmm. are they... So Lyra was... When she meets Will right away, she's shocked that Will doesn't have a demon. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's convinced that Will's demon is inside of him. So I guess Lyra's demon, like, the demons are, and we've talked about this, they're just a physical manifestation of one's soul, basically. Yeah. And so is that what the specters are doing in this world where the children are running about unsupervised? Are they taking demons out from inside of people, and that's why they're, like, hollowed out? No. Is that, like, are there demons in every world, but some are literally inside of people, but whereas in Lyra's world they are yeah, taking that the shape weird. of animals. I, I don't know. That was... That's a nice little bit of speculation there, Ben. Nice we'll, work. We'll see. Also, <laughs> um, in that chapter, we they Lyra and Will went back to Will's version of Oxford, and Lyra's... And we kind of talked about this at the end of the last hmm. book, what's going to happen when these characters go to a different world. And I'll she's trying to spend gold coins, and Will's like, what are you doing? We'll go to the ATM. Yeah. You're going to draw attention if right. you're spending gold coins. Yep, this is part of the problem. I like that the uh, when she does go into his world, because he like gets her to try and dress normal and, and tries to get her to act normal and stuff, um, the first thing that happens to her when she goes to the portal, she gets hit by a car. Yeah, instantly. <laughs> Just hit by a car. That's great. I did like that part. And yeah, because they're going too fast. She's not used to all this traffic. Her mm-hmm. Oxford doesn't have a ring road with a roundabout and a bunch of vans. Yep. Or, I'm sorry, lorries. I think they call them lorries over yeah. there. Um, and then, yeah, there's some other kind of mundane things of Lyra discovering a world. Like, they go to see a movie. She, oh, yeah. She, she enjoys a hamburger. She likes hamburgers. Mm-hmm. Yep. She, um, loved she saw two movies. Yeah. Them. She chugged down some Coca-Cola. She loved the Coca-Cola. Yeah. She loved that bubbly water. Uh, I love that he... <clears throat> After the car accident, he says, oh, that's my sister, and we live nearby, and that kind of stuff, to kind of stay under the radar, because he knows he's being followed, even though we're not exactly clear what's going on with that. Um, so that she's the sister, and I forget what name she has that he gives her. Do you remember? He calls her Lisa. She prefers to go by Lizzie. <laughs> okay. And then uh, his is Mark Ransom. Yeah. <laughs> Which I thought was pretty awesome. Um good alias for a murderer exactly (laughs) so that's pretty much it for chapter three chapter four will learns from his family lawyer that his father has simply vanished he won't give him any info so i think the main theme of chapter four is will and lyra both trying to get some answers trying to get wandering about oxford talking to people trying to get some answers yep so as he said uh, will's talking to a lawyer He's talking to a lawyer. She's trying to learn more about uh, the particles or the dust. Yeah. Um, but they said they wound up going to Oxford, like uh, the school. Like they're at a actual like college at this point. Yeah, because right? Lyra's version of Oxford has her school, Jordan College, but that doesn't exist in our world. So right. they're just presumably at Oxford University that we know here. Yeah, and the one thing I thought was funny, or not funny, but like kind of interesting, was 
in this alternate kind of dimension, everything's very similar and then also like kind of different. So there's some buildings and roads that were the same for Lyra, but then yeah. also some buildings are completely missing. And there's like a whole different yeah. building. Like there. the library is there, and Lyra's familiar with that. But there's mm-hmm. also like a supermarket, and she doesn't know what the hell that is. Yeah, and also that there was a on a street corner in her world, Simon Parslow. Yeah, had that's carved something... SP in there, and SP was actually in this world too, carved. In. Yeah, so that raises the question: Are there the same people? At least some of them overlapping in both worlds. Is there a Simon Parslow in both of these worlds? Because yeah. it seems like. From a storytelling perspective, Will is kind of the equivalent of Lyra. Our, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, you know, they're obviously yeah. very different backgrounds or whatever, but they're kind of yeah. Will's obviously an important character, and he's our world's equivalent to Lyra. And I, like I said, I think his dad is kind of like Lord Azrael. He's this right. explorer type who's um, you know looking for dust. We don't call it dust though. Uh, what they call dust, we call uh, dark matter. Yep. So, and Which that's they what they consider to be particles of consciousness. Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty funny. And Dr. Mary Malone is <clears throat> studying this stuff, mm-hmm. and Lyra talks to Dr. Mary Malone and blows her mind. Which I had some problems with that scene. Did you? Did you? Well, I thought it was you know weird, but it's also a fantasy book, so yeah. I guess I don't have like the highest expectations. Like that's not how it'd really be. Okay, but uh, can we agree that this is where the pervert steps in? Which I thought was hilarious. Uh, pervert in every book so far. I know there's always a pervert after her. Also. Go ahead and talk about the pervert. I have a comment about the pervert, too. I'm not sure if you picked up on this or not, but... Well, I think he plays a bigger role than being a pervert. Well, yeah. He comes in later as like an actual like sneaky person trying to monitor her, I think, is what I was getting from that. But um, there was the holes being drilled in skulls in the museum. Yeah. Which I forget who it was that had... Trepinning or trepanning or however you pronounce that. Yeah, trepanned or something like that. Holes in one side. Uh, oh, she finds doubles of the exact Samoyed hunters. Yeah. Yeah, and so that these are the ones that... Well, Samoyed, that's the thing. Hmm. Well, th- those are the people that kidnapped her in the first book, right? Oh, and is that Samoyed, what it is? that's something right. in our... Like, that's a breed of dog in our world, I know, isn't it? I was going to say, yeah. yeah. Like a big fluffy dog. But, um, so yeah, she finds the same... Uh, doubles of that, and then like that somehow goes into the tree pan, like the drilled skulls, which they believed would allow this dust or spiritual whatever to come into you. Um, and so then the pervert wants to talk to her about it, and then says, "I've, I've got a bunch of skulls with holes in them back at my place. If you want to learn more about it." <laughs> and so, and she actually considers it for a moment before she takes off, which I thought was pretty funny. Yeah. So, the pervert, his name is Charles, right? Oh, yeah. is it? Okay. Yeah. Hello, Lizzie. I'm Charles. Um, <laughs> Can you do it in a more pervert voice, please? <laughs> Hello, Lizzie. I'm Charles. <laughs> um, first of all, thank you for uh, implying that my normal voice is not pervy. That's <laughs> a compliment. <laughs> um, but she was puzzled by her interaction with this man, and, and she was reminded of something that she couldn't quite put her finger on. Um but there was something about him that reminded her of uh, bears. Did you pick up that line? I have on my notes here that uh, Captain Pants, Pant Lyman, uh, helps Lyra realize that the man smells like Ifor Ranksen's palace. Yeah. And that's the bear, right? That was the, the false bear king. That, uh... <laughs> the false bear king. Yeah. Yeah. So, because... yeah, that he smelled like that palace. So yeah. that made me think, like, oh, he's not just a pervert. I mean, he could still be a pervert. He also has some bear-like qualities. Is uh, I mean, is <laughs> is this man familiar with the other dimension? Like, what's I know is he connected to the bear somehow? But Are, is our like... world equivalent of bears just perverts? I don't know. That <laughs> <laughs> if a bear crosses over into our world, that they suddenly take human form, and they're like, yeah, yeah I gotta go find kids. He was he's wearing a white suit, wasn't he? Oh, I don't remember. Much as a bear wears, <laughs> right? I think Are you uh, gonna look this up too. <laughs> huh? You gonna verify that it's a white I, I suit? I think it was a white suit. That's what I was. I, th- I thought it was like a white linen suit or something. Um, uh, maybe it wasn't specifically white. It just said a beautifully tailored linen suit. Yeah, and you holding, just really well holding a Panama hat. Aren't Panama hats usually light colored? Oh yeah, this is basically implying that it's the uh, the classic, you know. Guy in an all white linen suit and a nice. Panama hat down in South America somewhere, kind of thing. Yeah, so that, yeah. Was, that was a picture I had, and uh, bears are also white, <laughs> like this man's suit. Like this guy is kind of a bear. This is, well, I don't know, maybe I'm just uh, grasping at straws here because I was so 
desperate for some bear action. I, I didn't get any, so this is the closest thing I could get to I bears. I do like the idea that a bear... Because you, know, you did have one bear, the false bear king, that wanted to be human real badly. It finally gets to cross over, maybe magically gets a human body. They're buck naked, and the first thing they're like is, I gotta go get myself a white suit. Yeah. <laughs> and then they walk out of like the tailor place, like, high stepping, little cane and everything. <laughs> All right, now I'm gonna go talk to some preteens. <laughs> yeah, so gonna get some tweens. Um, 33,254 years old is what the, uh, the tree pan skulls with the holes in them. That number, for some reason, is a big, big deal. And in later chapters, it's uh, that's referenced as like the last time a rift opened up in the sky with the, uh, and maybe that's in chapter six because I read ahead by accident. Yeah. So the holes in the head they show presence of dust or dark matter or whatever. And yep. Dr. Mary Malone, when Lyra's talking to her, reveals that they call them shadows. I think. Yeah. And the shadows started appearing thirty to forty thousand years ago. Right, and um, for some reason, they only seem to interact with things involving human workmanship, uh, and rulers, like intellect, and, right? Yeah, yeah, anything like a book or a ruler or anything like that. But and um, so that thirty to forty thousand years ago, I think, is that implying that's when humans reached a high enough plane of consciousness where this dust or shadows or dark matter or whatever right. interacted with them, or possibly crossed over from another dimension. The last time this giant rift opened up, and I don't know if that's me yeah. reading ahead, but that is referenced by. A person um, that maybe humans crossed over at that point, and that's where like the dust started. Because they are they you have, just trying to repeatedly mention that you actually read ahead for once instead that of I'm not actually reading. Like, you know, kind of like a good, like a good student, a little hard okay. worker. So yeah, I mean that's in stark contrast to the first five episodes <laughs> that we did. Maybe I didn't want to get yelled at this time, so well, maybe I, I finished mean, the book already. <laughs> just want to make sure that you're not mad at me. You said I need shtick. That was my shtick. I was yelling and <laughs> scolding you for not doing the assigned reading. Now you, you've left me with no shtick. Well, now you ruined the shtick because I'm trying to make you out to be the bad guy, and you're like. You're pulling I think I'm curtain. still making myself out to be the bad guy here. Uh, but then they did talk about, I forget what it was, but they held up some artifact from before 33,254 years. And no uh, dark matter particles would gather around this thing. So for some reason, that number is really specific in this book of where the dust gets active or the shadow of things, whatever, will be around an object. If it's before that timeline, then they just don't. Oh, you're pulling it. You don't believe me? You're going to look it well, up? Well, no, I'm just wondering, did I get to that part or not? Either I read that part and skimmed over that specific she detail. Mentions it, or... She mentions it around the whole thing where she's talking about a ruler. She's like, oh, you know, okay. if you hold up something as dumb as a ruler, then all of a sudden you see particles around it. But if it's something before this timeline of, like, caveman or whatever, I forget what it was. Yeah, I don't know if it was, like, okay. a rock or something they held up, but, like, nothing, it didn't conglomerate around that. Well, yeah, they were testing, like, things of the same material. Like, one was just a plain rock and one was a rock that had been carved, right? Right, right, like right, that. right. That's probably so what, Just yeah. to kind of control their experiment. Yeah. Um, um, but then Lyra talks to that golden compass and uh, says... The lithiometer. And, and it says... Fine. And then it says, <clears throat> uh, don't lie to this woman. So she goes and meets Dr. Mary Malone, uh, and makes a point, I'm not going to lie to her, and she spills her guts because she's real, real tired. They're going to stop funding to her department. Her, uh... Yeah, Dr. Mary Malone is not in a great <coughs> state of mind. She seems rather frazzled. Mm-hmm. She said her department, she has to complete a grant application or whatever to keep her department going. Yeah. Um, so and, yeah she's she not in a good state of mind, which is convenient, so she's receptive to... Lyra's crazy tale of crossing over a magical bridge from a different dimension, and she knows about dust, which we call dark matter. She keeps, like, saying, uh, I come from another world. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, the doctor's is, like, okay. It's just pretty you know, funny. Yeah, like, a university professor researcher that's uh, quite receptive to this mad rantings of a 12-year-old. Mm-hmm. Talks about a computer that they use uh, to see and interact with this shadow dark matter that they say is uh, basically sentient. Um, they call the computer the cave. Yep. Can you tell me why, Ben? Well, it's a reference to cave paintings. And no! A quote from Plato? And Plato! I thought that was also... It's shadows on the wall. Oh, Plato okay. had that entire thing, um, or that example of how people see their like see their existence in relation to others being if a bunch of people are sitting in a cave and they don't know that there's a whole world outside the cave, but a light coming through shows shadows of people walking back and forth. Mm. They will sit and stare at the shadows that are projected on the wall oh, okay. and think that that's reality. And one person will become enlightened and turn around and look out there and see there's a whole world. So that's what they call this, the cave. Eh, not the most creative name I've ever heard in my entire life, but it's cute. Yeah. Um, so Lyra 
sits down, she jacks in, and she, um... Well, yeah, you just uh, connect a bunch of electrodes to your head, and then mm-hmm. you're, you're plugged into the cave. And it's basically its own golden compass that she tries to talk to and ask it questions. And uh, I actually didn't write down what she asked, but um, I think at one point she asked, how can we make this better so that these people here in this world can actually use you? And basically it said, uh, build a better program. Yeah, she just basically <laughs> said, hey, dumbass, you can make this thing uh, use words instead of pictures. Yeah, exactly. Because so it's just kind of like shapes it floating around on the screen yeah. or whatever. But she was, Lara was by far better than anyone else at manip- manipulating the cave to generate these images. Well, she's the uh, Neo. She's then, the, the chosen one. She she's is. the Harry Potter. And then we also find out there's other ways to interact. So this is how these people at Oxford interact with dust or dark matter. Mm-hmm. But then there's also, they make that reference to what the Chinese with the three sticks. And oh, the, yeah, that's and, right. The I Ching or whatever. Yeah, so uh, different people have different ways of manipulating dust and mm-hmm. asking it questions and uh, was there anything else to that because I didn't write anything else I feel like that ended with something more at the end of that chapter but I didn't have any notes on it nah I think that pretty that's much pretty much it, it. Um, chapter 5 I got real skimpy notes Lyra yeah. is able to deflect attention from the police by asking them for directions yeah and yeah this chapter Somewhere. was basically just Lyra interacting with our world wasn't it yeah, yeah talking to the and police Will. and then they went to watch a couple of movies and they had hamburgers that's what it is and Will, her and Will and used an ATM she was point. astounded at the ATM <laughs> <laughs> it dispenses gold coins upon yeah, command. Well, 20-pound notes. I know. Yeah. Uh, but this is kind of where we're, Lyra and Will, who have been uh, best buds, uh, now they're butting heads a little bit, uh, talking about who's better at being invisible or unnoticed. <laughs> like unlikable. Yeah, they have different ways. Uh, Lyra's preference is to kind of hide in plain sight, mm-hmm. and whereas Will likes to blend into the background, I guess. So. Yeah. Uh, Will thinks that the uh, the golden compass is a privacy concern, which, again, blows my mind because if you or I lived with a golden compass lying around, then, yes, we would have the luxury to be able to say, that's kind of a privacy killer. Like, we should have more rules around what kind of questions you ask and stuff. But for someone like Will to be like, you've got a thing that just tells all the secrets? Why is he suddenly like, nah, I don't like you knowing that much? Like, it seems weird that that's the second person now who said, like, I don't really want to know all the answers. Well, and then, I don't know if you picked up on this, and I don't see in my notes where exactly it was, but there was a part where Lyra, like, the alethiometer seems to have a personality, and Mm. Lyra knows that that she asks it too many questions or the wrong questions, it'll basically get annoyed with her and stop answering (laughs) it, so she can't overdo it, which I guess addresses one of the criticisms we had earlier, is like, why is she not using this all the time? Yeah, that's true. It's because she doesn't want to piss it off. But again, this is kind of like I was saying in the last, uh, with the last book, like, is any of this sort of tacked on where it's like, the you know author finished the first book and he's like, oh yeah, why wouldn't you just ask it questions all the time? Oh, because it gets fussy. Yeah. <laughs> I'll write that down. That's got to go in my next book. <laughs> it could be, but I guess I'm glad it got addressed somehow. Yeah, I suppose. Tacked on or not. I mean, it answers one of my questions. Philip Pullman thought of everything. I, I can't, know. I can't outsmart this author. I know. I sort of wonder if it's like after he wrote the first book, if he's, and then all of a sudden, like, it got published and people started asking questions. Like, oh, crap, I got to get my act together. And <laughs> started, like, kind of nailing down some of the loose ends. Probably um, did. I'm curious now. Did he write much before this? That's a good point. Let's, uh, let's look pull into the, the life internet. of Philip Pullman. Oh, I'm on philippullman.com. Ooh. I'm a, as passionate believer in democracy of reading, I don't think it's a task of the author of a book to tell the reader what it means. The meaning of a story emerges in the meeting between the words of the page and their thoughts in the reader's mind. Anyway, it looks like he's a fairly prolific author before this trilogy, so. The Adventures of John Blake. I guess I'll back off on implying that he's some sort of hack. <laughs> he does sort of look like like he'd be one of my dad's friends, just sort of showing up. Sit, like, I come downstairs, and he's sitting on the couch with a Pabst. I'm like, oh. He's, he's like, your dad back yet? I'm like, no. <laughs> it looks kind of like that. <laughs> back when Pabst was a dad beer, not a hipster beer. Yeah, this is in the 70s. That's... You wouldn't know that, because I'm Well, my dad was a Pabst man for a long time. Was he? Yeah. How many Pabst did your dad drink a day? My mm-hmm. dad treated him like soda. I would say an excessive amount, probably. Yeah, but also never got drunk, because it's just not that much alcohol in there. So yeah. He'd just be... Since then, my dad has switched to Bush Light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah, what is my dad? Uh, I think it's Bex. Bex is his big one. Bex? I know. Isn't that weird? That is weird. I think my dad drank a lot of Bex when we lived in Germany, but since then... When we lived in Germany? Yeah. Yeah, I'm a very worldly man. Did you know that? How long did you live in Germany? Was this when I knew you back at the dry cleaners? Uh, About three years. We moved back here before I started kindergarten. My dad was stationed there in the army. Oh, here we go. But I think okay. there, was, there was a lot of Becks back then. Are you going to use the term military brat or anything like that that's going to seem really inside and make you seem like you're part of kind of an elite group? Well, I was going to, but now I won't. <laughs> John Perry's letters, Ben. <laughs> Is this when he opens up the... Uh... The green suitcase finally, and takes a look inside and sees John Perry's letters. Yeah, this is right at the end. And of this chapter is his dad five. then at this point. Yeah, because there's um, is it actually? Yeah, when was yeah? Will would have been a baby when these letters were written. Correct? Okay, because he's like headed towards Alaska, basically looking for this portal, and then he like disappears. But these are like the last letters that were received from him. And uh, I didn't take down very many notes on that. Yeah, because one of the the end of the letters said, "Kiss the boy for me." Playing no, that the adorable. boy is Will. Do you wish your yeah. dad would have said that about you? <laughs> when he wasn't swilling down the paps. Come here, I'll give you a kiss. <laughs> kiss the boy. Kiss the boy. Uh, yeah, so anyway, what was the question about the letters? Uh, do you kind of, I don't really remember a whole lot about the letters. I remember them being like, oh, that's interesting. And then I just kind of skimmed over it. Well, it was chapter up. explaining that uh, Will's dad, John Perry, is this explorer. And there's this, like, scientific expedition to Alaska to a couple of different disciplines, uh, archaeology or whatever, and some other scientists go in there. And they think that John Perry is there because he's just an ex-military guy, so he's Mm -hmm. just doing logistics and helping them camp and stuff. But actually, he's on his own mission, and like I said, it kind of parallels uh, Lord Asriel's mission. He's after dark matter or dust or whatever window to a different universe and he also finds out one of the other people on this expedition is also going after the same thing he suspects so there's mm-hmm. maybe some conflict there and maybe differing motives for why they're both going after this so do you think uh so who is the head like the severed head from the first book that Azriel came back with Stanislaus Grumman yeah and so they mentioned, I forget what chapter, but at some point in the chapter it was mentioned, like, I don't think that he really died. I think it was somebody else's head. It was like, yeah, it was a decoy head is the Whose head the was it then? Theory. Could it be John Perry's head? Could be any. Maybe it's just some random tartar. Does anyone know what Grunman looks like? Did they do plastic surgery on the severed head to get it to kind of look more like Grunman? Well, maybe it was just, I don't know, was it like a head or was it just a skull? Was it... I thought it was a head head. Okay. Maybe I just made that up in my mind where he like grabs it by the hair and holds I mean, it, it up proudly. Froze. I mean, you see like mummified remains of like, you know, the Iceman that was stuck in the glacier for 10,000 years and all right, fine. skin's all leathery. I don't know if he looks like he did when he was alive or maybe nobody, it was gruesome and nobody looked at it too closely and they just <laughs> say, yeah, that's grumming all right. <laughs> it was like, they're going to know it's not his head. Like, ah, they're going to be, there's, there's a bunch of monks and stuff. Like, they're going to get pretty grossed out. They're not going to look too closely. Yeah. So he holds the head up and he's going, ah, gross. Yeah. <laughs> Well, there you go, Ben. That's chapters one through five. Uh, overall, what kind of a what kind of what's your vibe? What's your takeaway? Again, disappointed there are no bears. I know. Unless we're calling just, Charles a perv human bear. Um, maybe that's a that's a theme we're gonna stick with. Is like yeah. bears when they cross over, they become naked humans and immediately get sweet clothes that, and then go hit on kids. That, I hope so. <laughs> uh, otherwise, it's a complete waste of time. Uh, I'm, I I'm, guess I'm impressed that you care so much about the bears that somehow from the last book I've turned you where suddenly you're a big fan of the bears. The chapters that focused on the bears were my favorite chapter. That was just mm-hmm. comical, this squalor that they lived in. <laughs> this <laughs> poop-stained castle that the bear built for himself, the false bear king. I think you make a um, great point about... Uh, the HBO ad- adaptation or whatever is probably going to be pretty flippin' amazing when they get to the bear part. Yeah, and the trailer, <clears throat> I was, I watched the trailer. Did you watch the trailer? I did. You sent okay. it to me and I was I, watching it. Yeah. Well, I know I sent it to you. I didn't Okay, so I was just trying to, to tell the, the audience that you said, like, we communicate when we're not doing the show and that you were nice enough to send it to me. That's all I was trying to do. So. Okay. Well, I'm, I'm flattered <laughs> that you, you clicked on a link that I sent you. Um, but yeah, the trailer, it was, you know, two minutes long and there was, what, four seconds of bear? I know. I'm a little disappointed. There's, I'm worried there's not going to be enough bear in the uh, HBO adaptation either. Ah, there'll be bear, I'm sure. Uh, but I, I think that they're trying to treat the bears like 
most people don't know anything about these books, much like myself, and mm-hmm. I think you as well, before well, we started reading this. Well, we've exposed it to, what, 20 people so far? It's 20 more people know about this than did before. That's true. Yeah. Well, you know, our first one got a few more hits, and I think that's Tween's getting on Spotify yeah. looking for anything involving this book and yeah. they, they ran across a couple of middle-aged uh-huh. men talking yeah. about this book and they're going to keep coming back <laughs> and I'm sure the kids are like these guys are really cool like yeah. these guys really know uh-huh. how to talk to kids yeah. my age these guys ooze confidence <laughs> confidence is key yeah which is like my mom always said um, but it's I think HBO is like yeah people are pretty excited about the bear so we're not going to show too much just give a little hint just a little taste to get them all excited and uh, and whatever worked up but I don't think they realize most people have never read these books and don't know what the deal with the bears is a lot of people have read these books these are pretty popular books all right, fine. It's no Harry Potter. Well, no, but nothing is. <laughs> um, I guess bears aside, the other thing, I am excited by the prospect of Lord Asriel trying to destroy God. That seems like that could be fun. I know. I love that in this world, you have uh, John Perry, who's heading up to Alaska. I heard that there's a portal up there. I want to portal it. Um, and that's kind of all he knows, and that's what he's going for. But uh, Lord Asriel, on the other hand, is like, yeah, I know about the dust, and I think it's God, and I'm going to kill it. <laughs> yeah. just just, so now it's like getting through the portal is totally not the big step. That's just a minor step towards yeah. his big goal of like trying to find God and kill him. Yeah. It's amazing to me, the, uh, the hubris. Yeah. <laughs> I think in that sense. So much like your relationship, I'm uh, curious to see how this plays out. <laughs> you son of a bitch. <laughs> well, that is our episode of uh, The Subtle Knife, chapters one through five. Uh, be sure to tune in for six through what? Ten. You've got the book in front of you. Six through ten. Aren't there 15 chapters? So we're going to do three, five chapter episodes? Yes. Let me just confirm that. Yep, confirm it. Uh, yeah, let's do six through ten. Six through ten. And then we'll uh, round it out with 11 through 15 after that. Tune in for six through ten. Thanks for listening. Book boys! Oh, God <laughs> I was trying to leave a gap there for editing these screen book boys in there. I thought that's what the gap was for. No, I was just doing a gap just in general. Just that's so my shtick, too. That's the shtick. That's the only other piece of shtick I have. I know. I always have the toughest time telling anyone, like, if I if anyone's like, oh, you got a hobby? And I say, yeah, I do podcasts. I read books or whatever. And they go, and I go, I also have another one with my friend that we review books. And they say, oh, what is it called? And I go, <laughs> It's called the Book Boys. <laughs> <laughs> like, I can't say it with a straight face. When I was being interviewed, man, he's like, oh, and what's the other podcast called? Like, the Book Boys. <laughs> like, I can't say it with a straight face. I know. I, I, I enjoyed that part because I, I, I did listen to that. And...